I want to start with um, a quote from Homer. <laughs> and Homer says in the Iliad, this is written about 800 uh, BCE. And Homer says, with a loud voice, Achilles chided with his father's horse, saying, Xanthus and Valius, this time when we have done fighting, be sure to bring your driver safely back to the host of the Achaeans, and do not leave him dead on the plain as you did Patroclus. Then fleet Xanthus answered under the yoke. He bowed his head till his mane touched the ground as it hung down from under the yoke band. Dread Achilles, he said, we will indeed save you now, but the day of your death is near and the blame will not be ours, for it will be heaven and the fates that will destroy you. This is not the first time that animals talk. And so we come to our pericope in Pasha's Bollock of the talking ass. Nothing has perplexed the rational medievalists as much as this pericope about the talking she-ass. The entire Bilom pericope in the book of Numbers raises many questions. And when asked to identify the most curious section, the one that poses most literary quandaries, aside from the fact that we have a talking she-ass, most readers would cite the intriguing incident of the talking she-ass in Numbers 22. But in my series about the anxiety of Moshe Rabbeinu, I want to start by framing the whole she-ass talking episode. I want to frame it by sharing with you a strange Midrash. And the Midrash is right in the last penultimate verse of the Bible. And the Bible says, Lo kam navi od b'Yisrael k'Moshe. There was no prophet ever in the history of the world, like Moses, who knew God face to face. Okay, so it's penultimate verse in the Bible. There was no prophet like Moshe. And comes along the Sifri, Devarim 357, and says the following outrageous statement. Lo kam navi Moshe. kam. There was no prophet in Israel like Moshe Rabbeinu, but there was among the nations. Ve'ezer, and who is it? Bilam ben Ba'or, none other than our foil character today. Bilam, the son of Ba'or. And why is such a prophet necessary? Yesh hefresh be neviyosu Moshe neviyosu because there's a big difference in prophecy. There are tzvei dinin in prophecy. There are different types of prophecy, different levels of prophecy. Moshe lo hoyodeh mi medabemo, ubilam hoyodeh mi daber. Moshe would not know who was speaking to him, but Bilam would know who was speaking to him, as it says, as it says, shenema neum shomea imrei kale. Nu'um Shomea, the speech of the hearer of the words of the Almighty. Oh, Das Elyon. So when Bilam is prophesying, he is verbatim knowing who's telling it. Moshe lo How do you know? Bilam hoyodea, emosai metaber, shenema v'yodea, das Elyon. Moshe lo hoyodea, Moshe didn't know. Shenema v'atopo amod imodi. In Tavorim, 
Moshe did not speak until he was standing next to him. So this amazing Midrash tells us that there was definite comparison and that Bilam was the greatest of the prophets and that Bilam knew the Yodea Das Elyon, the knowledge of the Most High. This doesn't explain how is it possible to, to compare the two men, however. Bilam had an eye in horror, an evil eye. He dreamt of cursing Am Yisrael, bringing about their downfall. And the Torah to Mima explains it in a beautiful parable. The Torah to Mima tells us this story, a mashal, of an eagle and a bat. Both of them know the times of sunrise and sunset, of course, but from the viewpoints of two different extremities. For as it is known, the eagle's nature is to love the sun and the sun's rays. But during the night, his eyes become blind. In contrast, the bat is only content in the middle of the night and in the dusk and fears the daylight. In this dramatic mashal, this portrayal, the Torah Tamima brings us this beautiful parable as an illustration to compare and contrast the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu and Bilam's Yodea Das Elyon, the knowledge of the Most High in Bar Midbar 24.16. Why? During the time when the light and the blessings reign supreme in the world, Moshe's prophecy is aroused, and he directed the occasion to steer the Pnei Elyon to his purpose. Bilam recognized those particular moments in time, but he held himself back and waited until those moments of divine beneficence, that divine chesed has passed, and waits till God has a rage attack to then prophesy like the bat, like the bat. So when the channels of light and goodness are blocked, and they are replaced by the dark spirit and anger and fury to Am Yisrael, Bilam is then aroused like that bat to prophesy. Okay, so there is a difference between the two. However, the Medrash stands. Lo kam Yisrael kamoshe od navi, but Yisrael, but olam, there was someone of the, as great stature as him. With that in mind and framing our discussion today, let me share with you my color-coded, hand-made. I take responsibility only for the colors, not for the text. That comes from God. And this is, in front of you, the episode of the Shias. Robert Alter points out in the Art of Biblical Narrative that the first word of our Pasha is Vayar Bilom, to see. And the verb with its notions of visual perception, creates the whole unifying structure of the story. The seeing of Bilam. Balak, the king of the Moabites, chooses Bilam to curse Am Yisrael because he is considered the preeminent seer, S-E-E-R, a visionary, a kind of someone who can see beyond the surface to the depths of being. He is a seer. So it is a great irony that this seer cannot see the angel in which the donkey, the she can see. 
He has no power to curse a people who God doesn't want to be cursed. It's driven home with the satirical humor of this pericope of the Shias. He rides off on his ass at Balak's insistence to curse the children of Israel. And on the way, an angel brandishing a sword stands in the way. I have to show you Rembrandt because there's a particular detail in Rembrandt that you must tell me that you see. Here is Bilam. Here is the angel stopping the donkey. The Shias sees the angel. Bilam cannot see. Look at his eyes. His eyes. Rembrandt paints his eyes dark. The problem Rembrandt gives us are who are these? Remember, he goes with the Bene Balak, with the Sar Balak, with the, the, the heads, the chieftains of Balak. They're going with him. So the question is, how come they're not commenting? We'll come back to this. Where is the silence of those who are going with him? Or is he the only one who is actually seeing the angel? Let's go back to our color-coded uh, text. The animal can see the angel, but the seer can't see. When Balaam proceeds to beat the animal, God opens up its mouth. So now the animal can speak. Balaam responds, if I had a sword, I'd kill you. Well, the angel standing right in front of him has a sword in his hand, but Balaam, the great seer, cannot see the angel. Only when by Yagal Ene, when God uncovers his eyes, does Bilam see. The irony of this whole thing, according to Alter, is the great seer has a lack of vision. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is what does this Shias episode add to the to the um, to the whole episode of Bilam cursing the people? That's what I need you to have in the back of your heads as we go through the text. He angers God when he chooses to go with the officials of Moab to curse. So God comes to him the night before. If men come to call upon you, okay, so go with them. But what I tell you, you got to see. So I color coded that in blue. You can only do what I tell you to do, but you can go with them. Very next verse, Vayokom Bilom Baboker, Vayachavosh Es Asono, reminding us of Abraham getting up, Vayashkem Avram Baboker, Vayachavosh Es Asono, Es Im Sorry Moav. So he does go, he goes with the Sorry Moav because God said, if Im Likrolochobo Anoshim, then you should go with them. In the end, Right at the end, it says, Vayelech Bilom im sorry Bolok. To me, that's the key critical thing. That's the stitch of this whole pericope that's stitched together. Vayelech Bilom im sorry Bolok. But right now, he's going with the sorry Moav. And what does that do? Vayicha Afelokim. God gets upset. Wait a minute. You just told him last night, if men come to you, I'm giving you permission. Go with them. But don't say anything until I tell you to. And now he gets upset. So this is a big problem for biblical scholars. What happened between here and here? The Medrash is going to jump in. So God impedes the derech and he puts a malach of God on the way. To impede him. 
as an adversary. He was riding on his usual seas, and the two boys with him. Maybe those are the two characters in Rembrandt, but they look far too royal to be the boys. Remember, Abraham too had two Na'aravimo, but he left them behind when he took Isaac up the mountain. Okay, now we see the beginning of this anthropomorphic, bothersome tale. The she-ass sees the Malach Hashem, of Baderach. So this is the first of three acts. Act one, she sees the Malach Hashem, and not only is he standing in front and beating, he's got a sword drawn to kill. So in the first act, what happens? There's plenty of room. So the ass turns aside. He gets out of the way. So he goes on the side field. Now, Bilom obviously doesn't see what's going on. So what does he do? He whacks it. Get back on the highway, you ass. Okay, Act 2. Vayamod Malach Adonai Bamishol Hakramim. Mishol is a very narrow place. It's actually a hapax. It's only mentioned here in the Torah. Mishol Hakramim. In a hollow way, a Mishol is a, is, is a pathway. But there's still room. Gadamizeh, Gadamizeh. There's a fence on either side. Vatera Osenis And again, Act 2. The ass sees the Malach Hashem. And he's trying to bypass it. But now... It's not a wide highway. It's a narrow mishol. So, vatilochatz eshak elakir, vatilochatz is regal bilam. So, he's trying to skirt around the angel and he presses Bilam's leg against the wall. Vayosev lakosu. So, Bilam now, not only is he whacking him because he went off the derech, but he was whacking him because he hurt him by pressing his leg against the wall. Act 3, by Yosef Malach Adonai Avor, and the angel of the Lord went further, by Yama B'Makram Now they are in a narrow place that there is absolutely no wiggle room. So the ass now lies down because she knows she's ready to die. He's got his sword, she's got nowhere to go, and she lays down to surrender. Now he's so enraged, he takes his stick, his staff, and he hits the ass. And finally, and God opens the mouth of the ass. So God miraculously grants the donkey the power of speech. But at, even at this point, the animal has acquired a character, a character whose vantage point is noted by the Torah no less than three times. Let me just point out to you those three times in a more dramatic way. Vatera oson nitzav, vatera oson malach, vatera oson malach Hashem vatirbats. And then we're told, even in a more dramatic way, that on three occasions, Bilam strikes the donkey. Vayach Bilam es oson lahatosa to get on the road. Vayosev Lakosov, he strikes again. Vayicha Balam Vayach is Oson. So the Makah, the Hika, reminding us of last week's Moshe Hika Al Sela. Okay, let's go back. And now the ass is opened and he is now going to speak. 
He's granted the ability to speak in the middle of the Shias episode. Initially, he's granted what Bilam has not been granted, the power of vision to see the angel. Bilam, the great seer, can't even see the angel of God standing in the way. Now, the ass is given the power of speech. And God opens the mouth of the ass. What have I done to you that you whacked me three times? Because you mocked me. Had I had a sword in my hand, I would have killed you. Which, as Alter points out, how ironic that is, right? If I had a sword in my hand. The angel had a sword in his hand. You couldn't even see that. Am I not? He's, gonna, he's now going to appeal to his sense of, I've been your trusted steed. Have I not been your trusted Shias? I've always been with you. You've ridden me all life long until this day. This is a very, very strange late biblical Hebrew. Haskain hiskanti. We know the word sakana means danger, but to use the word sakana as a verb is is very is the only time in the Bible. Would I endanger you? And now the seer says, "You're right. Your loyalty cannot be questioned." Okay, so if it can't be questioned, why did you hit me? Vayagal Adonai et Bilam. So. God opens the mouth for speech. And now, He opens the eyes. Vayagal is interesting. It means he unrolls, he unfurls. It didn't say by yiftach like it says by the mouth. He unrolls it. Now he sees the malach and the sword. And then what happens? The angel sides with the donkey. What happens? Why did you whack your donkey? <laughs> so the Malach is unaware that the seer cannot see. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said that. The Malach opens up and says, Why did you whack your donkey these three times? I was sent here to be an adversary because your way is contrary to me. Me meaning God. Which begs the question, you just told me last night I could go. So this story hasn't added anything except adding to the fact and the drama and the irony that God is upset that he went, even though he told him he could go. Blah, 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 blah. And now the Malach repeats exactly what God said the night before. Don't say anything until you don't. And now he goes with the sorry bollock. For me, if I'm looking at it from the literary perspective, I think maybe he was upset that he went with the sorry Moav instead of the sorry Bollock. I don't know. But certainly all the medievalists have a very prob- problematic issue with A, how can a donkey talk? Was it a miracle? And B, how does that fit with what we were talking about that God told him he could go? Remember that in Mishnah Avot, we talked about this last week, about the piha be'er, the mouth of the well. And then we also had one of the ten things that were created in Bein Mashot on Friday night, Mishnah in August 5-6. And it says, piha aton, 
There are certain things that were built into the creation story that the rabbis were very, very upset that once God had enacted the laws of nature, those are the laws of nature and they shouldn't be broken. So in order to explain the miracles, the michtav, haktav, that the luchos had the lettering all the way through and that you could see them on both sides, not back to front, the piaton, the piaper, these were created just before Shabbos. Vayichulu ha-shamayim va'aretz v'cholz va'am. And between that at Vayichal Elohim, it's called Malachto Asher Asot. Right between those two, they snuck in these ten things that were what I call the dustbin of creation. We had to, we have to get them in, so shove them in the dustbin just before Shabbos. Take the garbage out. This is one of them. Piha Aton. So we have to go back to God's confusing response to Bilam to understand what's going on. And the traditional commentators tell us, suggesting that God was angry about Bilam's intentions, meaning, yes, he said, I'll do, I, I can go, you can go. And then when he saddles his ass and he's on his way, he's going to curse them and God sees his intentions. So the Rashbam says, that God saw that he was going willingly with a yearning to curse. Other commentators suggest that Bilam believed that God would change his mind. But we come back to the idea that our story of the ass leads us nowhere. It doesn't give us anything that he didn't already know or that we the readers don't know. Again, God comes to Bilam and says to him, if these men come to invite you, you may go with them. And whatever I command, you shall do. But the angel goes and says exactly the same thing. Go with the men. Don't do anything except which I tell you. So the Abarbanel already noted the problem. Why did the angel of God confront Bilam in the wilderness? He only tells him exactly what God had already told him. It doesn't move the story forward at all. So this is good evidence that it's not part of the dream story, but something else. It's a something else, and it's something quite disturbing. Now, the Midrash Tanchuma tells us, in order to really to parody Bilom, because he's really getting a, he's getting a big, good rap in, in the Torah. He is the seer, Yodea, Das, Elyon. He knows everything about God's intentions, even things that Moshe doesn't know, because Moshe has to wait for God. So, in the, in the Midrash Tanchuma, we are already now lampooning him. And what does it say? The irony of the story. This can be compared to a doctor who comes to cure with an incantation for a man who was bit by a nashoch nachash, a, a, a venomous snake. Okay. <laughs> now, on the way, he's coming with his nurse and his interns on the way to the, to the man's house. Ra'a, he sees Anka Baderech, a kind of creepy crawly, a gecko. So he says, <laughs> um, he says to his resident, give me a stick so I can hit him. Amru lo, what? They said to him, you can't catch this creature, this stupid little gecko. You have to whack him. You can't just say one of your miraculous incantations. How are you going to be able to cure the patient? If you don't even know how to treat hypertension, how do you think you're going to do a cardiac ablation on this patient? If you don't know 
Medicine 101, how can you think you're going to be doing open heart surgery? This dramatic medrash is putting in the mouth of the ass, talking to Bilam. This is what the donkey says to Bilam. You can't even kill me unless you actually have the stick or the sword. You can't kill me. You don't have anything in your hand. You said, if I had a sword in my hand, believe me, I would whack you. How are you going to even kill a nation? You're going to curse a nation? You can't even do that. This is clearly a parody. And the parody is even taken more uh, seriously by the Gemara in Sanhedrin 105. Mazutra says, you know what kind of a diviner was? Yeah, yeah, he was a seer. You know what kind of a seer he was? Let me tell you what kind of a seer he was. He would divine with his erect phallus. And Mars son of Ravina said, in fact, in order to divine, he had to have intercourse with his donkey. That's a Gemara. What is the Gemara achieving by telling us all this? The late rabbinic idea is that we have to deconstruct this Bilam from his pedestal. And how are we going to do it? We're going to do it through the story of the Shias. We're going to completely lampoon him with the Shias. Now, this brings us to the medieval period and how embarrassed the rational medieval scholars were. The Ramban says that the miraculous elements of the encounter, the donkey's vision of the angel and the revelation of the angel to Bilam, did not occur in the flesh and sensory reality, as the pshat would imply but rather unfold in the mind's eye and the heart's and soul's sense. What is Ramban saying? It was an illusion, a delusion. He had a delusional experience. And they are rendered no less real because they are delusional. They were a vision. He was a visionaire. To quote, The angels of God that are spiritual intellects cannot be perceived with physical sight for they are not corporeal. When they appear to the prophets or those possess the Holy Spirits like Daniel, they are perceived by the intelligent soul. But that, as an angel, might be seen by the eyes of the beast is impossible. Ramban discounts the fact that we should take this literally that the Shias saw anything. Now, Rav Gon, especially as well as the Rambam, understood that its conversation with Bilam like all the other episodes of the pericope, took place as a prophetic vision. He's taking it even one step further than the Ramban. It's not a sensory reality. It's not even a delusion. It's a prophetic vision in the Guide to the Perplexed 242, and not as an actual conversation. So all the miraculous elements of the encounter are not to be taken literally. The Shadal says he heard the donkey braying, plaintive sounds as he's whacking it and he interpreted the braying. Do you see how they're struggling with the miraculous? This approach has important advantages. Chief among them that we are no longer puzzled by the text failure to relate the reaction of the Moabite observers. As Rembrandt has the Moabite observers, nothing's taking place in reality, so there's nothing bothering them or the attendant lads. 
to what surely must have been literally an unbelievable sight. Did they not hear the donkey speak or the revelation of the angel? The answer, according to the medievalist, is a resounding no. Okay, so I want to suggest that the function of this episode, which adds nothing to the overall structure of Bilon being told to go on his quest to curse the nation and God will put in his mouth the blessings of the nation, and he did that. This insertion of this Shias episodes does nothing to move that plot. Then what is the design? And so I think that it is to undo Bilam's positive traits. That the mockery of Bilam is presented and stretched by the Midrash in Tanhuma and the Gemara in Sanhedrin as the inverse of his positive traits. Remember, the positive traits were, I can see, I'm Yodea Das Elion. And therefore, I think that the insertion of this, as does later Midrash, comes to deconstruct that Sifri that says that there's no one like Moshe. Oh, yes, there is. There's someone like Bilam. Can you see the struggle between these modes of thought? And the mockery of Bilam is not just a folkloristic holdover for some ancient thing. I think it has a literary device quality that he tries to tell us. And I want to end up by that framing that I had mentioned right in the beginning. Remember, we had started off by comparing Moshe and Bilom. Vayokom Elokim el Bilom Laila. He comes to him at night. Then he gets upset. So why does he try to stop him? when we said that he told him to go. It's, un it's unclear. Everyone struggles in the Mephoshim. Rashi suggests that what angered God was not his actions, but his desire. I've mentioned that. But for me, we have to go back to Moshe. We've been talking for the last three weeks about this traumatic background to Moshe. And I think what I see here, the reluctance of Moshe to go and speak God's words Right last week, we discussed at the burning bush. I am, I'm not an orator. I'm not a Trump. I can't do this. I can't convince people of the opposite of the truth. I, I, I'm just not, I don't have that ability. And that reluctance, finally God says, oh, I'll send Aaron to be your mouthpiece. That reluctance to confront his stepfather, the reluctance from the trauma of his childhood, parallels Bilam's own ambivalence. And I think that that is the message of what's going on here. Yes, he said, you can go. The next morning he gets up and he goes. And then the donkey episode could well be, could well be not just a prophetic vision, not just a delusion, but his very unconscious ambivalence. Let's say it was a dream. How would you interpret this donkey episode as a dream? Well, precisely, you would be saying that the sword that he's bringing to kill Am Yisrael is the sword that the higher ego self is stopping him from doing it. When Balak's messengers asked Balaam to go with them to curse, Bilam first asked God what he should do. When God tells him not to go, he tells the messengers he will not go. When other messengers come, Bilam says, God tells him it's okay to go. And finally, God says, you can go. And then he goes and somehow in this dreamlike episode, he experiences his own ambivalence, God's anger of him going. 
He is different from Moses in many ways and may not even be a good person. As our Medras tries to tell us of his sexual proclivities in trying to evoke his visions. But he is like Moses in one important way. He is willing to overcome his ambivalence to speak the truth. That comes back to Alter's issue of the whole light fort throughout our Parsha is seeing. Vayar Bolo. He sees the truth. He wants to speak a different truth. He wants to curse. So it's all about opening the eyes. And that's what we see in the vision, right? Vatiftach Hashem. And God opens the eyes. And the ass sees something that the seer doesn't see. And the ass speaks, which he can't. He's dumbfounded. So it's about visual acuity and speaking what you see. He sees Am Yisrael doing very well. He sees Am Yisrael. And that's why they're telling him to curse Am Yisrael. So they are both willing to overcome ambivalence to speak God's truth. To speak the truth they had to face their own demons. In that sense, in a deep Freudian way, they had to face their unconscious ambivalence and possibly their own sin. But nevertheless, they speak. In their willingness to hear and transmit God's message, Bilam becomes in his own way like Moshe Rabbeinu. And I think the lesson, the take-home lesson is that... If it looks like fraud and it speaks like fraud, it's fraud and you need to call it out in our politic. Have a wonderful week, everyone.